Today's reading comes from John 17 and also Psalm 131. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Nicole, good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you this morning as we continue on this series called Constant, looking at these themes throughout the entirety of scriptures. Today, the topic is intimacy and having an intimate relationship with God that leads us into an intimate relationship with one another. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for this morning. We just pray that as we sing, as we open your word, uh, Lord, as we fellowship after this, uh, that you would be in it all. You continue to grow us as disciples, men, women, young and old, growing closer to your heart. Teach us, even this morning, a little bit more of the picture of discipleship you have for us, Lord, as those being formed in intimate ways in our following of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Intimacy. Intimacy with myself, intimacy within community, intimacy with our God. Uh, we're going to be tackling a lot today as we talk about this really big topic uh, in the whole of the scriptures. And by way of illustration to begin, uh, last month we celebrated our all-church worship service where we gathered at Alaska Airlines Arena and 3,000 people came together for this one epic worship service, one worship service to rule them all. And I was actually the leader of the service because I was so passionate about seeing it happen. And so the morning came, I had my head full of details and how do you make coffee for 3,000 people and will there be enough volunteers and you know, all these different things. And it all came together beautifully. Just, just being with that many people singing, if you were there, you know, it was, it was amazing. Pastor Richard speaking about the intimate life of Christ and, and drinking in, uh, getting for me a chance to allow people a chance to respond to the gospel invitation and literally dozens and dozens and dozens of people saying, yes, I, I want in, I want more Jesus in my life. And, and it was good. It was a good, good day, one that we'll repeat maybe before the next hundred years. But one, a guy from our church, he, he grabbed me a couple weeks later and he said, you know, that, that worship service was good. But, you know, I, I was sitting down front by you and your family, and I got to tell you, um, you, you know, you were having some challenges with your four-year-old son, weren't you? And I was like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm getting ready to speak. The four-year-old's at my feet. He's got this magic singing dog that I'm just imagining coming on and filling the arena with noise, and he's kind of testing my boundaries and dancing and whatever, and I, I was kind of having a hard time, actually, because I was a little bit annoyed, and I was you know, needing to set some parameters and, and you know, be this dad, not just that was going to say some things on stage, but showing some love to my own son. And this guy from our community said, you know, I got to tell you, everything that happened that day was good. 
But you know where I saw intimacy that morning? was you and your son. At the end of that service, the way you picked him up, the way you treated him the whole hour during, and the, you guys dancing afterwards. He said, that was a picture of intimacy. And I was like, well, that's great. Because to me, it was a picture of being really annoyed, but <laughs> like trying to... <laughs> because the reality is, intimacy takes work. Intimacy takes work. Intimacy with God takes work. Intimacy in one another, in marriages, in friendship, as we're old, as we're young, intimacy takes work. It's something that sounds good, but can be so challenging. And so this morning, as we look at this really audacious topic of intimacy, and intimacy with myself and within a community and with God, I just want you to remember this, this charge that intimacy takes work, but God is calling us to the work of being intimate with him. We're called into intimacy with both God and then to one another. And this is what it looks like, that God would give us you know, pathways of grace and safety through tools of confession and vulnerability. And that all of our life, if, lift, if, there's, if there's one theme that's come out over and over again as we talk about creation care, as we talk about work, as we talk about justice last week, this, there's one theme beyond the scriptures that we've been highlighting every week, the Bible from front to back, it's this theme that's kind of a Bethany distinctive that started long before I began, is that we might live as people of God on a vertical and horizontal axis, that these are the axes of our faith, this two-dimensional, that we're connected to God, actually connected to God, and we experience intimacy with him. And from that place of intimacy, we have a caring relationship with one another, and this multiple axes that the scriptures call us to is a DNA distinctive of this church. And it's the greatest hope of this church, Bethany North. I mean, you just got to know that when God asked me to come and to help build a church, the calling from God was come and build my people and make it relevant again. And a church that's relevant is a church that's intimate. A church that's intimate is a church that's relevant because as we're intimate with God and we're intimate with one another, man, we can, we can move mountains. But if we don't know intimacy with one another and we're just going through the motions and we're practicing religion but our heart's not being transformed in faith. And so my greatest hope for us this morning is we align into this big idea that God is calling us this morning into a new picture of wholeness and intimacy that yields a truer sense of our own identity, a true sense of our connection to one another, and a true sense that we are anchored to God himself. So let's begin, as we've been doing this whole series, in the creation. How did God intend us to be? In the beginning of things, how are we meant to be? And the scriptures tell us that at the beginning of time in creation, that we were naked and unafraid. And I know that there's a lot of connotation with intimacy, both sexual intimacy and friendship intimacy, but for a working definition this morning, I want to start with this definition, that intimacy with God and intimacy with others is this metaphorical naked and unafraid, that we can be our full self with people, and that we can be our full self with God. Look at Genesis 2, 15 through 18, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you'll certainly die. And we can just pause there because you see in intimacy, there's provision. 
And when there's intimacy, there's hope. And when there's intimacy, God's people are being fed. And when there's intimacy, that there's right relationship with us and God. And in intimacy, there's also some parameters. An intimacy with one another will lead me to have certain behaviors that won't destroy this intimacy. I won't pursuing it. This day and age where we have more virtual intimacy available than ever before through way of pornography or other vices, we're a lonely, disconnected people. Because at its core, intimacy is saying it's in right relationship with God that, hells, that holds us in some boundaries. And then listen to this from this next verse in verse 18. The Lord God said to him, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now don't get hung up in, in the gender thing here. We're going to be talking more about gender and sexuality stuff as we look at Song of Solomon closer to Easter time. This isn't about that. But where God says, look, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I have to tell you that as we've studied this week with the other pastors, as I studied getting ready for this moment, this has been blowing my mind. Like, and I, I'm not going to go Bible geek where like the average person is like, yeah, but this doesn't actually matter to us. Like, I think this is really, really important because God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for you to be alone. He's just been saying, I look, you know, created the heavens and it was good. I created humanity, it was good. I created the earth and it was good. And then God looks at, at man and he says, it's not good for you to be alone. But he's not alone. Like God, God is with him. And Adam is, is in nature. And, he, and he's seeing the sunrise. And, and there's all sorts of things going on. And he's not alone. But it, it, God is saying here and teaching us at our very core, that our very physiology, it, it, needs, it needs to be connected to other humans. And that though we long to live this, you know, kind of autonomous life where it's just me and God, and yeah, I'll be a desert monk, and I'll just live out somewhere, and then yeah, all my needs will be met. But humanity in the garden, God said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so there is a void in us that is only filled in human intimacy, in healthy friendship, in healthy marriage, that God longs to fill us, that vertical, we've got to know God for sure, but that somehow God is saying we're all so marked with this hunger and need to know each other. Genesis 2.25 speaks of this intimacy. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. It's so much more than just a sexual relationship that for sure that they had. And healthy intimacy does mean healthy sexuality within the covenant of marriage. But it's more than that. That Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Because God has given us the created order that we can be connected to him and connected to one another. And we can be naked and unafraid. We could live lives of meaning and, and just full of capacity for God to fill us. Later in the Torah, God says in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 30, God says this, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. All of it is, is, is God's saying, it's, it's right there in front of you. It, it, there's life and there's death. There's prosperity and there's destruction, but I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, his decrees, his laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering. God's saying, it's right here. It's right in front of you. Be intimate with me. This is the creation. Don't choose death. Don't choose destruction. Don't choose things that will steal your joy. 
Don't choose places of addiction and despondency. God's saying, choose life. And then he continues here. He says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If we want life, we need intimacy. We need intimacy. It's how we've been made, these axes of vertical and horizontal living. If we want more intimacy, I want to encourage you this morning to learn to be aware of who you are in God and in Christ. In the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, he's, he's a new creation. And the creation is this, you be intimate with God. And that starts with knowing yourself. Intimacy, step one, as we try to make this practical, we need intimacy within. We need intimate, intimacy with ourself. We of the fractured selves. We live in a world that is cut off from each other, but God is commanding us to, to know intimacy with, with ourselves. And for many of us, that means making space for pain in our life. Because as one writer said, the fractured view of the image of God in others is born from a fractured picture of the image of God in me. And we see as a biblical example of this, we see the, the story of Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. King Saul, it's interesting, because King Saul, you know, he, he had it all. He was the first king. Scripture says he was a man of great height and stature. He was beautiful and powerful. But Saul was never comfortable in his own skin. He was never able to have intimacy within himself, and so he was constantly looking for outside of himself for how to take meaning. And, and you see in 1 Samuel 18 where they've, they've experienced this great uh, advancement for the kingdom. They've had a victory, and they come home, and David's a young soldier in, in, in his army in 1 Samuel 18, and people are singing. The women are singing. They say, Saul has killed thousands. David has killed tens of thousands. It's a victory psalm. And Saul, it says, his heart was angry and bitter because he had a fractured image of God in himself. He never, he never knew who he was. And he, he ended up lonely and disjointed, so much so that Saul actually takes his own life in 1 Samuel. He falls on his own sword in places of fear running from the enemy. And the scripture set up in Samuel this contrast between Saul, the king with the outward appearance that had it all, and David, the shepherd boy. And earlier in 1 Samuel, David, the shepherd boy, is called to the battlefront because the giant needs to be slain. And, and no one will show up and actually do the work of facing Goliath. No one will face the fears. No one will face the hard stuff. And so David comes, little David, little David, little Davy. And when he shows up, Saul says, you can fight in my armor. He has like the biggest, fanciest, most, you know, state-of-the-art armor. And so David tries it on, and it, his little body doesn't even move the armor. So David takes the armor of the king off and instead heads into the battle by himself with the slingshot, the tool he knows best. And he, he has victory. Throughout David's kingship that also has sin and brokenness, he knew who he was. And the scriptures tell us he was a man after God's own heart. We need intimacy within. And friends, the practical application of this in the church is we see broken intimacy all the time in the form of loneliness. 
we are a lonely, lonely people. And it's lonely out there in the darkness of this political season and, you know, fill in the blanks, but it's lonely in here too. And most happiness research says people in the church are just as lonely as people outside the church. Someone said to me recently, you know, it's really hard to wrestle with dark things in the church. So let's wrestle a bit. We are lonely. And we are often chasing a picture of satisfaction from someone that someone else has given us, someone else's armor. We're trying to be someone else. And God is saying, just be the person I've made you to be. To quote Genesis, we're called to be naked and unafraid. And that happens as we know who God has made us to be, intimacy within ourselves. And so if you're lonely this morning, I want to encourage you. Intimacy out there starts with intimacy within. May you understand the image of God in you. God wants to remind you this morning, he does not want us lonely. And that will lead to better relationship with him, lead to better relationship with others. It starts with a better relationship with ourselves. We see that we're called to be naked and unashamed. We see broken pictures everywhere. And first of all, we're, we can so often be just sarcastic with each other. You know the root of sarcasm is a, is a Latin word, sarx, which means to cut. And when we're sarcastic, we're literally cutting each other up. We're sarcastic and we're, we're killing each other. If we want to be not lonely, if we want to understand the intimacy within, we need less sarcasm and more hope. And often we see this as a second point, broken intimacy expressed in, in really unhealthy forms of intimacy. And, you know, we speak often about the dangers of lust and, and pornography, and it's, it, it's, it's something we need to fill. But the place to fill it is with intimacy with God himself and not unhealthy pictures of someone else's life. Chesterton once said, men go to brothels but they're actually looking for God. And so to quote somebody that I've read recently, when I respect the image of God in others, I can respect the image of God in me. And so if you're lonely this morning, if you know people that are lonely, remind them. Intimacy starts within. God wants to remind us of our place in his kingdom within. The great author Brennan Manning is a shining example of this. We've quoted him before and from the pulpit. We've shown images. and His book on the ragamuffin gospel was a real turning point for me in moving from a place of shame to being able to be naked and unafraid. That I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a failure and I'm a broken vessel, but God uses me and, and calls me good enough and he loves me. And Brennan Manning is just almost this prophet of God's love. But do you know... Brendan Manning was really good at telling others how to remember that ragamuffin gospel. And near the end of his life, he died with much loneliness. He was an alcoholic in recovery that had relapsed many, many times. He had understood love and yet ended divorced and alone. And, and it was his relatives caretaking him in the final days. He died alone, suffering the effects of his alcoholism. And it was so discouraging for me to be like, no, not the, not the ragamuffin gospel because he believed this so much. And every one of us needs to be reminded this morning. Intimacy starts within. God has made us to be naked and unashamed that we would know ourselves and be known by him and by others. And that leads to our second point, a point of disruption that 
God made us naked and unashamed, and it didn't last like that for long, right? I mean, I think we've been reading Genesis 1, 2, and 3 pretty much every week for the last eight weeks. This is what happens. You know, this is where the Genesis narrative of being naked and unashamed goes horribly off course. This is Genesis 3. They, they turn their back on God's commands. They no longer follow the teachings of, of what to avoid. They just thought that all things would be, you know, for their own taking, and so in Genesis 3, 6, the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took and ate and she gave some to her husband who's with her and he ate it. Don't get hung up on she ate, she blamed, like they're together. They both eat of the tree that God says not to. They both leave the creation and enter disruption. And then in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. And so it begins, we of the covering ourselves up tribe. Because they're aware of their less than perfection and they start to cover themselves up. Verse eight, and then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And so it begins, us of the hiding clan, that we hide from intimacy, that we long to be known by God, we want to cover ourselves up, that we long to be known by spouses or people in our family or friends. We, we cover ourselves up and we hide. And then verse nine, and then the Lord got, called to them. He says, where are you? Because this God always comes for us. This is a rhetorical question. He's God. He knows where they are. But he wants them to know that he's looking for them. And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And so the life of disruption ensues of hiding and shame and covering ourselves up. And if you don't believe me, hang out with a three-year-old right now, anytime in Seattle when it's like warmer than about 60 degrees. I mean, the clothes are just flying, you know, and every little bucket becomes a swimming pool and there's no shame. Their nakedness is not a problem. When we get older, it's like, I just, we got to cover each other up, cover ourselves up. We're scared if somebody sees me, they'll know me and we're scared of being known. And this is this narrative of shame that enters into so many of our stories shame because of what I've done. If they knew that I'm not perfect, they would judge me. Shame because I haven't done human relationships real well. Shame because I've had negative habits. Shame. And the shame causes not us entering intimacy, it leads to covering up. James 4 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet what you cannot get, what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask for God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Or you may spend what you get on your, on your pleasures. And so intimacy begins with proper relationship to God, an ability to properly relate with one another. That when we are naked and unashamed, we're not, we're not going to live lives of loneliness. We're not going to live lives of shame where we're constantly just afraid to be who God has made us to be. We want a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of God that leads to a proper view of others. And in that way, we start to live into the great command of Matthew 22, that what's the most important thing? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first 
and greatest commandment. We gotta have a vertical connection. It's not what we think about. It's we gotta pursue God and be ready for God to pursue us. God, I want to be intimate with you. I don't, I don't care what, what I was raised with. It's not about someone else's faith, someone else's upbringing. I need to know you. And from that will lead me to proper relationship with one another. This is the second, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And so as Greg Boyd says, this is where our faith really begins is in intimacy. Belief is simply a mental conviction, something's true. But by contrast, Boyd writes, the biblical concept of faith involves a commitment to trust and be trustworthy in a relationship with another person. This is who God made us to be, two directional people, people of the two axes that know God and know others, and taking this courageous journey of being naked and unafraid, taking the courageous journey to understand who God made us to be and be in healthy relationship with God and others. And may I dare say that your healthy relationship with what God and others is what our world so desperately needs to see. It's in your vertical love of God that I see my hope. It's in your connection to one another that I see that we're actually made for intimacy one to another. And we need that good news. So the two places of disruption I want to look at, and we could look at any of them, I want to look at two basic places of disruption that we find ourselves. Disruption, state number one, it's as individuals. It's broken human relationships. Most of us in the room are not immune to it. Broken human relationships with our parents, with our children, in marriages, in our singleness. It's amazing. Remember at Genesis 2 that God created us. He set us in the garden. He said, I don't want you here alone. I will take a rib and I'll create two parts to make one whole. There will be intimacy. We are made to know one another. But we see disruption all around. We see disruption. 80% of us, survey says, are married. And so for the 80% of us that are married, this is a little bit harder because we wear a ring saying that my marriage is a marker of my faith. And for many marriages in the church, many marriages at Bethany, many marriages, dare I, dare I say, in this very room, our marriages have gone cold and stale. God is calling us to have intimacy in our relationships. Is that sexual or is that emotional? Yes. Intimacy. We'll talk more about intimacy in the spring as we kind of unpack week by week through Song of Solomon. We are called to have intimacy one to another and do the hard work of actually showing up. And for the 20% of us that are single in the room, single and divorced, single and widow, single and never been married, God is saying, you're not, you're not out of my picture. You're not incomplete because you're not married. No, intimacy looks different. You have healthy intimacy. Choose healthy intimacy. A gal, after the first service, she grabbed me. She said, I've never been married. I said, what does intimacy look like for you? She says, I surround myself with really healthy people that see the best in me and see the best in each other. They become my tribe. And so, high schoolers, your tribe matters. All right? 20-somethings, our tribe matters. 30-somethings, four, I'm not going to point at the rest of you, but, you know, we're all together in this room. Our tribe matters, and if we're not in a marriage relationship, your tribe is paramount. Surround yourself with healthy people. 
Do not be around people that don't see the image of God in you. Do not be around people that will distort the image of God in others. We see broken human relationships, and God is asking us to repair that. The work of the church is it's staggering that in the church, we have the same amounts of infidelity as outside the church. We have the same amounts of domestic violence in the churches outside the church. This is from national research. We have the, the same amount of divorce in the churches outside the church. We uh, do not do a wonderful job of making, yeah, it's sad. It is sad because this is no joke. Our human relationships are a place for us to bear witness to the intimacy. And the second place I want to highlight today, this morning, because it's it's firing me up right now. Disruption state number two, corporately, there's a lack of justice for many in our community if a minority. And there's this amazing story of a refugee and the story of Ruth and of single women and singleness and intimacy and friendship between two widows, a daughter-in-law. And this man from Bethlehem, let's call him Elam, they moved to Moab because of a drought and the man dies and his sons die and what's left is Naomi and Ruth and the, the other daughter-in-law who leaves. And then Ruth, the daughter-in-law, who's no longer bound by covenant because her husband's died, she says this. It's a picture of intimacy. Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you, Naomi, or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. It's a beautiful picture of intimacy between two single women. And intimacy takes work, and they move back to Bethlehem and do the work of reconciliation. When, when people that are being discriminated against in our community, when we feel their pain, they become our people. Brenda Salter McNeil of SPU and Quest Church, she's written a book that our whole staff is going through now about reconciliation. And Dr. McNeil says that reconciliation and intimacy happens when your people become my people. Well, Dr. Martin Luther King said the same thing. That as God's people, we need to be reconciling injustices in our community. King says every human has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every human is made in the image of God. One day we will learn that. I pray it is today. Well, Martin Luther King made one trip to Seattle in November of 1961. Do you know about this trip? He came to speak to the church in Seattle because it's the church that should be leading on conversations like reconciliation. But when King arrived in Seattle, he was disinvited from First Presbyterian Church where he was called to preach because that message was a little bit too controversial. And we're not bagging on the Presbyterians. This is the church we should be leading in the hard conversations on lack of intimacy and racial reconciliation. And largely, we've, we've stood off. And so King went instead and spoke at University of Washington because the academy will have hard conversations. And he spoke at the Eagles Lodge downtown because apparently a bunch of older males called the Eagles are willing to hear Martin Luther King, but not the church. And I shared recently a pastor saying to me, like, well, that's not really our issue around here, is it? I read to you a covenant from a housing arrangement here in North King County. In 1941, William Boeing created a subdivision in North King County, and he wrote this in Restrictive Covenant Number 14. No person other than a white Caucasian race shall be permitted to occupy a residence. Where is that? That was in Innes Arden. 
less than a half mile from here. Those were the restrictive covenants in our community. And so when you say that the battle is you know, raging around America, but we're doing pretty good in Seattle, we have our head in the sand. We live in a divided city, and God is calling us as the church to have hard conversations, more intimate conversations around race, around sexuality, around how we do relationship. And this points to ultimately the hope that can come from one place and one place only, and that's in Christ alone. That in Christ is where our hope is found. That we, in Christ, are a new creation made for intimacy. And knowing him, no matter our baggage, no matter our failings, no matter the fact we're more like Saul than King David, that Christ is saying through, through, the, through the cross that we're all, we're all brought equal, equal access to the grace of Christ, Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. We've got the best seat in the house. We're sitting with Christ himself because of the hope of the gospel. And we've been saved through faith. This not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. May I substitute this morning. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to be intimate with him and with one another. By his grace, not our own. By his work, not our own. We live in response John 15, Christ himself says this, you are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. And so this is the new covenant that we get into. It's one of cleanness and not dirt. It's one of optimism and not pessimism. It's one of intimacy and not shame. And this is the third step of intimacy I want to highlight, intimacy with God himself. Because of who Christ is, we have intimacy available at our, at our very fingertips. Have you seen this thing that, um, it's, it's used in a lot of fundraisers now. They're called cardboard testimonies. And they're really beautiful. And some of us have done them in the room, and they're really, really good. I, I really, really like them. We do them a lot of young life and different things where it has two pictures. It has a picture of our old life. Um, I was addicted to pornography. And then we flip it, and it's our new life in Jesus. Now I have intimacy with God. That's a picture of our old life. I was addicted to alcohol. And then a picture of our new life that we flip. I now have a friendship with Jesus that changes me. Like you've seen this, right? The cardboard testimonies. And sometimes I, I worry when we flip the cardboard, it's like, what do we do with a world that still largely doesn't feel very intimate? Like I've flipped the cardboard about the new life available to me in Christ, but I don't feel intimate with God today. And I flipped the cardboard that I you know, have this new freedom, but I, I feel stuck and not all that connected in my marriage or with my friends or in my school or in my workplace. Like we're flipping the signs, but we live somewhere in this tension between the old and the new. And the hope of Jesus is encouraging us to do this work of though we've flipped the cardboard on a new life, the, the story's not over. The story gets written as we're more intimate with God and we're flipping the carpenters. We're more intimate with one another. That this is the call of the church, this vertical, horizontal life that ultimately we'll know in the final slide, the final point is the culmination. This is the culmination which all believers believe in, that at the end of time we will see Christ face to face. The story does have a beautiful conclusion.
The beautiful conclusion in Isaiah 2.2 is foreshadowed. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. We will, we will walk with God. Or as Revelation 19.7 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. The wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We are the bride. We'll have that intimate a relationship with God that will filter into all of our other relationships. It's the intimacy which we're called. We all need it. But we live in the in-between where we flip the cardboard and our life can feel so disconnected because intimacy takes work. We have this small group that Sometimes it just feels like work, if I could be honest. Like, we've been together for a long time, and we've, we've mourned parents in that group. We've lost babies. We've had people come and not come. People move away. People be disengaged. And there was this night this fall around my birthday, and I wasn't super stoked about being 42, and I was just feeling pretty lonely because life can be lonely sometimes. Even those of us married, it can be lonely even those of us in the group, it's easy to idealize that other people's journey is less lonely than your own. And we all, we all have tastes and times where we feel cut off. And so we go to the small group, and we're sitting outside, and it's dinner, and there's kids, and it's chaos, and I'm just, just grumpy. Because intimacy takes work. A lot of days, I don't necessarily want to do that work. So I'm sitting there kind of hard-hearted and closed, and just felt like this nudge from the Lord. If you never talk to them, they'll never know that you're hurting. I turned to a buddy and I just said, yeah, you know, there's some stuff going on. Worried about one of the kids. I'm worried about work. I'm just worried. And it felt good. Because when we open ourselves up, if we're with safe people, it can feel good. And the sun goes down, a meal is served, and the fire's burning in front of us. And at one point, someone, one of the parents says, let's just pray over the kids. And that started another school year. It wasn't 15-minute exegesis on the book of Lamentations. It was just a prayer, but it was good. We prayed for these kids as they go into school that they would know God's intimate touch in their life, and it was good. We need each other. That's the practical four-step. We need community. We are made to be connected together. And about half of us in this church have a group that we call home, and are reporting large satisfaction with that. And the other half are saying, and we're really lonely. So may we take steps of intimacy within community. May we take steps of intimacy with God himself. May we take steps of intimacy in our singleness or our marriage, connection to one another. And may we take steps of intimacy in those places of our own heart that we would know who God made us to be, that we would wrestle with dark things that we would push away elements of loneliness, that we would push away elements of shame, and we'd enter into the full life of Christ of which we are created. There's this beautiful picture of this touch of intimacy of Christ in Luke 8. It's in other Gospels, too. I read to you Luke 8. As Jesus was on the way, the crowds crushed him. He's going to heal someone, and they're in the marketplace, and it's crazy, and it's loud, and it's chaotic. And a woman who'd been there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years years and no one could heal her 
You can just pause there because if you've been bleeding, if you've been hemorrhaging, if you've been having that kind of bleeding as a female in this culture, you would be a social pariah. And they're in the marketplace and likely people know her story and her reputation and likely people are trying to kind of stay away and and, and the crowds are pushing on Jesus and she's thinking, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. And so she came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped and Jesus says, who touched me? Jesus asked, and they all denied it, and Peter, you know, kind of got all the answers. Master, people are crowding and pressing against you. Don't worry about it. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she said why she touched him and how she'd been healed, because she knew If she could have a touch of Jesus, then she would be healed. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Friends, we need to be touched. We need to have a touch of the divine. God, I want to know you. We need to have a touch, a human touch one to another, that we would be intimate, a church of true intimacy. Would you pray with me now? Father God, we thank you for moments to be reminded of your scriptures and the way in which they live on still. We know that for many of us, Lord, we can feel cut off and isolated and alone. That happens in our teens. It happens for some of us in our 70s and everywhere in between. Father, we pray this morning that we would have a a small touch, an encounter with you. Lord, we want to just not go through the motions of religion. We want to be intimate with you. We want to be people that we're actually knowing your story. And Father, we pray that we be intimate one to another, that we understand now even more fully we've been made with this void that longs to be connected to other humans. We are not robots. So Lord, teach us not to be robotic. Teach us to open our hearts Lord, there's people in the room this morning that need to open their heart, that need to do the hard work of being vulnerable again and being forgiving again and practicing grace again. Lord, would you give them mercy? And Father, there's others of us that just need to open our heart to you in new and deeper ways. Father, we want to have that intimacy that that changes everything about us. Wake us up as your people. In your name we pray.